Hi listeners, I'm your host Rebecca Kelly and welcome back to The Station, a fiction podcast about a girl named Ida Shepard who's trapped on board a dying space station. Now before we begin, it's been a while since I've uploaded an episode, but that is because I have some very exciting news. So as you may or may not know, this podcast is based off of a book that I've written by the same name, The Station. I started the podcast basically as a way to get the story of Ida out there while I continued to work on getting the book published. Well, that time has finally come. I am so excited to announce that the book is published and it is available as a paperback and as an ebook through Amazon. It took me three long years to finish this project, and I am beyond words excited about how it turned out. Really, it turned out so good. I am so excited, and I definitely hope you guys check it out. So, what does that mean for the podcast? Well, there's no real changes here. I plan to continue uploading podcast episodes of me reading the book, and this is basically just bonus content to my loyal listeners and followers. Um, But if you'd like to purchase the book for yourself, I would be so grateful, and I will include a link to the Amazon store in the show notes where you can go and get the book for yourself. I greatly appreciate all the support I've received from podcast listeners over the last few months. It's been just totally overwhelming, and I am so, so proud of this little project. And if you're interested in supporting the podcast further, um, visit my website. It's www.rebeccajkelly.com, and I will link that in the notes as well. And follow me on all the social medias. I have all the links there. I'll continue to post interesting content um, about the station and about the next novel I'm writing, which might just happen to be a sequel to this one. So it's very exciting. Lots of good stuff going on. I appreciate everyone so much. And yeah, that's where we are. So now on with the show. So we're picking up with new and her battle against breast cancer. Now, this is a tough one, guys. This is a tough chapter for me, very emotional, but it is an important part of Eda's story. So let's jump right back in. Here is chapter 34 of The Station. The medication made new vomit almost constantly. Ida took over primary operations of the station, so Nu could rest. The weightlessness was almost unbearable for her, so she stayed exclusively in the G. As the days dragged on, Nu became more desperate. Ida could see her fading. It was as if it were happening in slow motion, although she knew it wasn't. She'd never noticed before, but her mother gave off a light when she was near. You could see it in her skin and in her eyes but the light had started to fade. Ida could hardly catch a glimpse of it anymore. New's attitude and her actions had taken on a frantic tone. She would forget where she put things and rip apart her sleep compartment looking for whatever it was. She spent hours propped up with pillows on the cushioned bench in the kitchen, scrolling through her hollow screen, looking pale and determined. No matter how hard Ida tried to get her to rest, she wouldn't think of it. New held out hope that she could beat this cancer, and the only way she saw of doing that was to do more research. On chemo days, she was confined to her sleep sack, 
with a bucket to catch her vomit. The surgery went as well as could be expected, although to Ida, it had been comparable to jumping out of an airplane, something she imagined to be the scariest experience possible. She had seen an action movie once where the hero did some daring stunt move, jumping from an airplane and free-falling back to earth in full gravity, while his backup parachute floundered helplessly behind him, finally busting open and stopping him from a neck-breaking death a mere 50 meters above the ground. It had terrified her to watch, knowing full well that the gravity down below behaves nothing like the gravity she was used to. As Ida prepared to operate on her mother's breast, she channeled her inner daredevil. Despite the fact that it terrified her to make the incision, she knew that, in this instance, fear was good. It would keep her accurate, focused, and on the ball. Before she began, she closed her eyes and imagined that leap out of the airplane. She conjured up in her mind what it might feel like for her legs to actually leave the structure, the feeling of it leaving the soles of her feet. Then she imagined the wind rushing by, the sound deafening in her ears. It was all speculation. She had never actually heard wind before, but she knew enough about wind to be able to bring up her own vision of it. Eyes squeezed shut, scalpel in hand. She imagined the terror of falling from the sky, of watching the surface rush toward her, first a muddled landscape, then quickly becoming pocked with ridges, hills, towers, trees, cars, and people, before finally feeling the astonishingly strong rip of the parachute filling with air, vaulting her back up toward the heavens where she came from, before casually letting her drift down to the surface. At that moment, before she began her mother's surgery, Ida embraced the fear of that free fall. She harnessed the power of it, opened her eyes, and began. The surgery took about two hours. The plan had been to take out three lumps, each about the size of a lima bean. With her studies the night before, she knew more or less what they would look like and how she would tell them apart from the rest of the breast tissue. She knew how much of the surrounding tissue needed to be taken and verified this with ultrasound as she worked. New, obviously in pain, guided her as best she could, but Ida handled it well, her hands steady, her eyes sharp, with her tongue tucked between her teeth. After she closed the incision with dissolving stitches, Ida gave New a strong antibiotic, 10 milligrams of morphine and a sleeping pill, before tucking her into her sleep compartment where she would sleep for the next 20 hours. Ida cleaned up the medical bay and preserved the samples. She would analyze some of the cells later and determine that, yes, her mother had advanced breast cancer. When the work was done, she allowed herself to drop into her sleep sack. Exhausted, she fell into a deep sleep. No counting, no dreaming, just sleep. Three weeks later, there had been no improvement in her mother's situation, and Ida, desperate for any kind of good news, watched her constantly. As the illness took over New's body, Ida took notes, administered medication, made herbal tea, and prayed for a miracle. New was not a religious person, but Ida had gathered from her mother's actions that she did believe in some sort of higher power. In the desperate hope that her mother's life would be spared, Ida prayed to this higher power to come to her rescue. 
She spent her days working on the station systems and maintenance, learning everything she could while New rested in the G. But nothing that either woman did could stop the inevitable. The cancer would not seed its ground so easily. It was highly aggressive, worse than anything Ida had read about in any medical journals, and a short two months after the surgery, the cancer won. It consumed her mother, mind, body, and soul. Ida had spent much of the last few days holding New's hand, reading to her out loud just as New had done for Ida when she was a little girl. They didn't speak much. New drifted in and out, but was mostly incoherent from the high doses of morphine. You will make it out of here, my beautiful daughter, she said to Ida the day before she passed away, in her last moment of coherency. Mama, Ida said, choking on the word. She hadn't called her Mama in ten years. Mama, I don't know how I will survive without you. Ida wasn't a crier, but on that day, her eyes weren't strong enough to hold the tears back. They were like those old, ill-fated mud dams she'd read about in history books. One tiny crack from the pressure, and they released, pouring what felt like thousands of tears down her cheeks. Throughout Ida's life, New taught her that she was tougher than any situation. She could figure it out no matter what. She could solve problems. She could make it work. But Ida was not in control of this one. She couldn't figure out a way to reprogram or redirect or reconfigure something. She couldn't do anything. That was what brought the tears more than anything, the total and utter feeling of helplessness. You will survive because you have to, Ida. I believe in you, my strong, beautiful daughter, New said, squeezing Ida's hand in her own. Her fingers were like pencils wrapped in translucent skin, thin and taut. Ida nodded, and there was nothing more to say. She curled up beside her mother under the layer of warm blankets, held her hand, and waited. Ida knew the exact moment her mother passed away. The light, wispy breaths New took couldn't have moved a leaf, yet when they stopped, she felt it immediately. She also felt the tension in the room release. It was sudden, like an air vent had opened, releasing a room full of old, stale air and filling it with fresh, new air. Ida hadn't realized it before, but the tension she felt was in her mother's body. As soon as the air left the room, her mother's body relaxed, and she was finally at peace. Ida imagined that her mother had sucked that stale air up out of the room along with her spirit, hopeful that Ida would taste the fresh air and get up, get moving, work the next problem. She knew something else, too. At that moment, when she felt the air flow out of the room along with her mother's spirit, she knew that she had to get off of the Delta. She had to make it to the surface somehow. As she cradled her mother in her arms one last time, frail from illness and growing cold from death, Ida knew that she must live long enough to reach the surface. She didn't know how yet, but she knew that she would, because her mother deserved that. Nix helped her move her mother's body to the airlock. Although his airlock was much too small for a person in a spacesuit to fit, Nix could fit in there with New's body, which had shrunk to half her normal size during the illness. He took pictures for the archives before getting in with her. 
Ida watched from the VP a few feet away. After decompression, Nix opened the outer locked door, and he felt the cold of space invade the limp body in his arms. It immediately became solid under his fingers. Nix wasn't necessarily sad. Sadness was not part of his programming. But common courtesy was, and there was nobody he respected more than New. So, if anything, he felt a sense of loss. New gave him his brain, his mind. He would miss her. After clipping his tether to the hook just outside his airlock, he attached a small CO2 canister to New's belt. He pulled the seal on the canister and pointed his dearest companion down toward the surface below. He and Ida hadn't discussed it, but Nix felt like sending New's body down to the surface would be a better fate than floating in space forever. It was the courteous thing to do, he thought, to send her back to her beginnings to become part of the earth once more. Dust to dust, after all. When he came back in, he said to Ida, Your mother was a wonderful woman. I will miss her very much. Ida nodded and said nothing. She wasn't crying now. She had work to do. Thanks for listening, sci-fi fans. If you'd like to own your very own copy of The Station, it is available now on Amazon. Check out the link in the show notes. And keep tuning in. The podcast will continue as usual as a bonus for those of you who love science fiction and low earth orbit and strong female leads and all that. (laughs) In the next episode, we will jump back to present day and find out how Ale plans to make the old Soyuz capsule flyable again. You don't want to miss it. See you then. Bye.